Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. As we come to the end of 2022, I want to invite you to support the ministry of the Biblical Counseling Coalition financially. You can do so by sending a special year-end gift, or maybe this is the year that you can join us as a monthly giver and support the ministry on an ongoing basis for years to come. I hope that you have been blessed by this podcast and the many other ministry outlets that the BCC has to the public. But there are many other things that go on behind the scenes that most people are not aware of as we seek to build unity in the biblical counseling movement. If you're passionate about that, I pray that you would join us in that effort by supporting us financially. Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 15:14, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the executive director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Today's episode is an interview that I did with Bryce Butler, managing director and founder of Access Ventures, an impact investing firm in Louisville, Kentucky. Bryce and I got together and talked about money and Christianity and how those things overlap and how our biblical wisdom should inform how we use our money, uh, both personally as well as in investing. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. So Bryce Butler, thanks so much for being with us on 1514. Would you introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, thanks so much, Curtis. Uh, my name is Bryce Butler. I'm the managing director of Access Ventures, and um, Access Ventures is a private operating foundation. So, one of many types of 501c3s out there. Um, and but our basic mission is to uh, pursue human flourishing, uh, to help communities thrive. Uh, and then the way we do that is is trying to leverage capital in all its forms, money, uh, to help help people. So that's, in a nutshell, kind of what we try to do. No, that's very cool. Now, uh, Bryce is one of my good friends, so I know you are a Christian. Access is not necessarily, technically, it's not a Christian organization per se. Uh, so you're helping people in lots of different areas. One thing that you talk about is having a one-pocket mentality. Can you explain what that is and how you help people understand that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, that's great kind of tee up. So yes, I am a Christian. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I actually used to pastor at a church for five and a half, for, for five years and, uh, and enjoyed that, enjoyed being a part of the local church. Um, access, well, fundamentally, I, I answer one of your first questions. I, I actually don't think organizations can be Christian. I think they are led by people, men and women of values. And those values for me are informed by my faith. So as a Christian, I lead an organization and the purpose of that organization is to pursue thriving for communities and people. Um, and that's played out, um, all throughout the scriptures, as you know. Um, and so, and it's fundamentally about dignity and value. Um, and so those kind of inform a lot of the work that I do. Uh, so, and, and even the one pocket mentality. So one pocket mindset is, is first and foremost, starting with who you are and what you believe and what your values are. And that being the framework through which you, uh, make decisions. Um, and the reason I say one pocket is because when I'm in the world of philanthropic giving or investments, um, what we oftentimes do is we bucket our money or we pocket our money. And, you know, John Wesley famously said, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. So right there, there's three buckets. And we even teach our children as we, you know, provide allowance or whatever for chores, give, save, spend, invest, you know, that kind of stuff. 
Uh, and so it just is kind of natural. Um, and that's what we do with our money. And then what happens then is we come to those different pockets with different expectations in a framework. This is for maximizing wealth, i.e. my investments. This is for doing good in the community, i.e. philanthropy, charity, tithe. Uh, and this is for my family. And I think the one pocket mindset is to say, first and foremost, money is a tool. It's a resource and it helps us manifest who we are in the world and it helps us achieve our greatest purpose. Uh, and so it's, it's really a framework. It's a, it's a starting point to say my values and who I am and who God has made me should inform all of those decisions. It's like putting on the glasses you and I are wearing. It's the, it's just like we talk about the, the lens of the gospel as we look at the, the biblical worldview uh, and the world around us. It's the same thing. Money's a tool. So how do we first start with that gospel worldview and then allow that to inform the way we engage in community? No, I, I really appreciate that. And actually, it's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you on the podcast because um, we, because of your nuanced thinking and the way that you even address that question of whether or not it's a Christian organization or not a Christian organization. And I think, I mean, you know what I mean by that because there are there are firms out there, I hear them advertised all the time that... Uh, <laughs> investing by Christians for Christians kind of thing, or like people who get cut out of investment because of their faith. And, and you, you're the, the money you manage goes into all kinds of things in all kinds of places. And you don't select just Christians to give to, uh, but I really appreciate the way you nuance that and that, yeah, not an organization is not a Christian. Well, one, we, so. And there's a whole discussion <laughs> there, uh, around, you know, how people, how people think about that. But again, if we, if we start with the framework, money's a tool and as a Christian, then me investing only in other Christians. How, what does that say about engagement in the world? And then if money is a tool, it can oftentimes be that bridge into a relationship. Change happens in relationships, right? And so that money, that investment, that real estate holding, whatever it might be, is an opportunity to bridge into a relationship with a demographic or a people or a community that I might not have a relationship with. And that, that capital then, that money, that investment is the, is the way into that, into that relationship. So that's, that's why I think it's important to kind of have a broader perspective and, and be willing to kind of invest in quote unquote non-Christian businesses, if that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate that. <clears throat> so the one pocket mentality really is a lot about, and, and if I've listened to your podcast a lot and I know you ask people all the time, like, what are the values that drive you? And that is one of the questions. So why, why is it important that Christians understand that principle in particular and adopt that principle? Because we're made in the image <laughs> of Christ. Uh, I mean, I mean, you know, we are, I mean, it might, it might seem like it should go without saying, but yeah, say it well, anyway. yeah, yeah. I mean, the chief end of man <laughs> is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Uh, and the, the greatest commandment, the greatest commission, like clearly in scripture, God is a God of order and purpose. Uh, we are designed with value, dignity, worth. I mean, Genesis screams of it, the whole scripture screams of it. And so I think Christians acutely, as they become a Christian, recognize first and foremost, nothing they have is their own. And I think that's the beautiful thing about a one pocket mindset and kind of this idea is none of what I have is anything that I've achieved or attained. It's only because of the goodness and the grace of God. And so therefore the things that I have, how do I deploy them? How do I use them in his service towards his glory? Um, and so I think first and foremost, yeah, it's, it begins with, it's not mine. 
it's God's and I'm entrusted that whole notion of a steward and stewardship is management. And that's stewardship is not just management. It's active management. It is thoughtfully thinking about constructing strategies around maximizing potential, right? I mean, business terms, but that's ultimately what we're, what we're thinking about um, and why it's important to, to bring your whole self and your whole self is as a Christian into the discussions about money, community, return, risk, reward, all that stuff. Oh, very good. So what, what are some of the ways that you have seen Christians struggle to mingle or not mingle their values with, with their finances and how they handle them? It's a great question. I think first and foremost, the filters that are oftentimes applied, it's, it's, well, let's just say, okay, if we hold to a 10% tithe and we're going into it with more of that kind of two pocket mentality, this is the money for, for me and for my investments. So therefore it doesn't really matter how I get the returns. I want to maximize return. So, uh, I work with my wealth advisor and they put me into different types of fund strategies. And that's all about maximizing wealth, right? Get me the highest return you can. Um, but then over here, 10%, that's what I'm going to give through my local church, uh, to the least of these. And with no, with no thought of return, right? Because it's, it's charitable. And I think on both ends, you, you have a couple of problems on the one hand through your investments, those investments are going into real companies in real communities, affecting real people and doing real things that are potentially out of step with your own human values as your own personal values. And so how do you dissect that? How do you actually look at that in a way that's like, look, how do I, can I get, can I get good returns on my investments and also do it in a way that doesn't dishonor who I am or God in that way? And then on the charitable side too, we actually actually have to go in and look at the charities, nonprofits, the organizations in which we work with and say, how are they also maximizing that return? Return meaning more like, are they achieving the outcomes that they set forth? How do we, how do we not perpetuate bad, bad business in a sense? Like they, they have an obligation and expectation to us as funders to do good with that money. So I think if we can come to it and say, look, I'm about, I'm about Jesus. I'm about this community and I, there's opportunities to invest in real estate or small business lending over here where I think I can get good returns. And it's also about the community, but over here, I'm going to work with these nonprofits to think about better ways of helping people experiencing trafficking or homelessness or whatever. And can we do that in a way that increases their outcomes, decreases costs? Is there a sustainable factor there? So I think you, what I like is you bring your whole self Mm. Your mind, what God has given us, you know, the, your intelligence, yeah. your ability to think about structure and strategy in a way that I think is, is pretty compelling. No, I think that's just a, that in and of itself is a good encouragement, maybe sometimes an admonition that we need to hear. Cause sometimes I, I do feel like, cause of the busyness of time, busyness of life, we just put those things on autopilot and we're not thinking about them. It's just like, I'm just going to throw, I've got this obligation to give a certain amount to my church or to some charitable organization. And I'm not going to bother digging into that. And on the investment side, likewise, it's just like park it and let it grow. And I'm not going to think about it. So really encouraging people to, to think about, and it's, it's especially for Christians, I think 
like you mentioned before, we're stewarding everything that God has given to us. And stewardship is not just a passive maintaining. It's an active, active thing. So uh, thanks for that. Sometimes, um, what are some other important principles around finances that Christians should be aware of? And I think... um, I, I, I want you to maybe start with some of the basics, but then grow into some of the more nuances because a lot of our listeners have, have read books on finances or other things like that. Um, not that we should assume or overlook those, but I, I think you get into some more nuanced or deeper things that I just don't hear a lot of Christians talking about. And I'd love to hear you talk about those. Yeah, no, and I think, I think it's a great question. And the basics I think are really good. One, First and foremost, it's not your own. We talked about that, right? It's recognizing (laughs) I'm a steward. I'm not an owner. I'm a manager. How do I do that actively and thoughtfully with the gifts the Lord has given me? Um, And then I think the other one is bringing your first fruits, right? Uh, I think there's two parts that I say bringing, not giving, because actually in the Old Testament, the the word of tithe is actually bringing. It's even an acknowledgement. This isn't my own. I'm bringing back to the Lord an offering, it's, and so I think that language is important, but also like Malachi three, it says, you know, he, he says, fill the storehouses, right. And trust me in this, test me in this. It's like one of the only times in scripture, God says, test me. And so I think there's an element where we need to recognize it's not our own, bring our first fruits. Uh, I think caring for our brothers and sisters, I think there are clear admonitions to make sure you're not ignoring the needs of your family. Right. Um, and so I think from a money perspective, how are you actually, you could, you could be giving to your church, but ignoring the needs of your, your own children. And how do you balance those as, as a, as a family man? And I think there's clear admonition that we need to care for our household, caring for the least of these widows and orphans, um, specifically. And so I think as you, as you go down the list, it's like in each of these areas and then in second Corinthians to give generously. So it's like, it's not just the tithe, but it's like, okay, it's not my own bringing my first fruits to the work of the church, uh, my local body of believers. I'm going to care for my brothers and sisters, my family. And that I would say also extends to the church family, the needs of the church family. It's like, look, what am I going to do in the community? If I, if I have a churchman hurting, I need to meet the needs of that churchman. Right. Uh, and support them. And then widows and orphans giving generously. And then I think, um, I think for me, on, on a bigger scale, this idea of fear and risk. Um, I think in the financial market, especially today with the recession, or if you have a wealth advisor or anything like that, it's all about risk mitigation, right? Insurance and risk. Those are on some levels like unbiblical, right? If we are trusting in the Lord and the Lord's provision, like he will care for us. He will meet our needs. Where does risk factor in? Where does risk mitigation factor in? Now, yes, there is prudence, wisdom. So we have to balance all of those things. But I think oftentimes we can hide behind this idea of risk mitigation or allow our wealth advisors to say, oh, we can't go do that. And I think it's really born out of a fear of self-preservation. And so when we actually properly place money where it should be as a tool in the the, uh, working out of who God has made us in the world, I don't know. Maybe we should be riskier, maybe a little bit more radical um, with how we think about about money and time and resources uh, for his glory. No, that's good. Yeah. And sacri- the, the, that, like you said, fear of self-preservation, I think a lot of people do make. One, I think there's just a general anxiety that can come in life that is focused around me providing for myself and not trusting in the Lord. But above and beyond that, I appreciate what you, what 
you said it's not biblical to think in just risk mitigation or even using that terminology because we are called to give and give sacrificially. Like actually it is, we are called to give until it hurts to a, 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 to a certain extent. And obviously, like you said, taking care of your own household, it's not wrong to, per, to pursue wealth. And uh, Proverbs talks about it as a good thing to give an inheritance to your children's children. So God's not against people having money and, and being wise with it. But yeah, if you're if you're constantly making decisions around money based on fear, that would be <laughs> yeah. And I think I think the anxiety is a good thing to acknowledge, especially today, right? With with everything going on in the market, current you know inflation still on the rise, even despite the Fed's actions to to mitigate that through interest rate hikes, the war in Ukraine. So human, like every, every person, I guarantee it feels a level of anxiety related to their finances. And then they, they hear all of these admonitions and they want to move forward and they feel conflicted, right? Anxiety, shame, guilt, fear, those are normal. And money is kind of all right there. Yeah. And if you're putting too much trust in your money, it's going to exacerbate all of those those negative experiences. So, so what are some of the other things that we don't often talk about as Christians that we should be talking about? I think related to the, to the money side. Um, I, I think, well, I think first and foremost, we, I would like to see people um, try to understand a little bit more where, where did, how did we get to where we are? Right. And I think, I think oftentimes as we think about money, in the economy and different things, we forget that it's it's still as a it's an institution. It's a it's a, you know it's that people talk about the invisible hand, right? Um, and, and but it's still as an institution. People, there's nothing like not one person that controls the economy, and we've gotten to a place of of knowledge where we even the Federal Reserve right now is they're adjusting interest rates as an example. They don't know what to do. They're, they're looking at history. They're looking at the data. They're making, they're making an assumption that if they increase the interest rates, it's going to stabilize inflation and that prices will come down. Labor markets will, will slow and will, will not enter the recession, right? But they're just they're, – they're, they're guessing. They're making their best effort. So I think, I think if we could adjudicate sometimes, how did we actually get to where we are? And I think sometimes we, we frame it as if like, no, this is how we should do it, meaning like – for example, um, culture and education influence how we think about money or investing, right? It, was, it wasn't abnormal 200 years ago that business did think more thoughtfully about people and communities, mm. right? Uh, Guinness as a company was built not just to create beer, but the founder was a strong believer and alcoholism was rampant and he created... Uh, a beer that basically had a lower alcohol content, higher liquid volume, so you wouldn't get drunk off of it. And so he used this, and then he took the profits of that and invested in some of the first retirement programs, pension programs that were ever out there. This was several hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. The first community banks were established by the Quakers mm -hmm. as a way to support the community through centralized lending. You know, there are countless examples of how thoughtful Christians recognize the role of business in the lives of, of community, and that business was not just about profit maximization, but it was about people. It was about resource stewardship, and it was about community. 
And it was about profit, to your point. Profit's not bad, but how profit at what cost? So I think what I'd like to see is Christians actually like ask more questions. How did we get here? You know, some some examples like Milton Friedman. He's a famous economist in the nineteen sixties. He wrote Capitalism and Freedom, and he put forward an economic theory. Um, that the, the purpose of business is to maximize shareholder value. And so literally for the last three, four, five decades, that's been front and, f- front and center as how we think about business. And so now business is all about profit maximization. And, and in fact, there are laws that now make it hard for a business to do something counter to the shareholder value. So we actually have to like now go back and redo even legislation. So this is a lot more than you're thinking, but I think what I'm trying to get at is actually ask like what we're doing today is not a million years old. It's not a thousand years old. It's not a hundred years old. It's 50 years old. (laughs) And we need to start saying, well, wait a minute, what is the right as Christians pull out outside? Like how should we think about business? And, 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 and I think, when you, when you start with a one-pocket mindset, it's not just money being invested. A one-pocket mindset says, okay, I'm a, I'm a human. I'm an owner of this company. I'm a, you know, a boss. How should I care for these people? Can I create structures within my workforce that empowers them, that provides for their needs? Can I create loan funds to meet their most basic needs? Can I, can I be the alternative to a bank so they're not going to the payday lender? Can I provide student debt as a benefit to new employees that can't even tap into a retirement match because I love people and I want to help them achieve, you know, zero debt in their life. Like that's where I like the one pocket mindset is more than just like where you put your money, church investments, but it's also like, okay, starting point, who you are as a human, what your values are, what you're about, and then how that informs you know, the way you approach the world. Well, that's, I mean, these are the kind of things I, I want to talk about too, because this is, we talk about them and I've heard you talk about them a lot on your podcast and just helping people think through business differently. And there, I think there's a, a tendency or temptation maybe in, in conservative Christianity right now, that when we start talking about those, those things like, uh, for instance, I think at access and some other organizations, you, uh, encourage is to help people like you offer a student loan repayment kind of option for your employees that instead of just investing in retirement for like a 26 year old, like they want to invest in retirement, but they're not going to be able to get ahead uh, as much with this debt hanging around their neck. So instead you you give them the option to have a student loan repayment and just thinking about those kind of things where, um, we want to be giving to companies that are creatively giving back to the community. Sometimes I think, and I know I've wrestled with this myself and we've talked about it. When, when we hear those things, we automatically jump to maybe this social gospel kind of mentality or thinking like, Oh, that's just, that's just something progressive liberals do. And we think about, you know, and we, you can, you can pull up lots of bad examples like Tom's and how that can even damage economies when you're going away when helping hurts exactly. But, but we, we, we don't need to jump to that extreme that just because you value, you want a business to do financially good and social good, that they're somehow liberal or wrong or. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And I think they can be, I mean, they can be liberal and there are things that can be wrong biblically. And there, there are things that I would not do even, even though they're defined perhaps as, socially or environmentally uh, good. 
in the eyes of the world. They just, they don't align with my values. But I think, again, I think if we want to do the hard work, it starts with your values. And then I think it's, think it start, like I said, it starts at home. What are you going to do with your home budget? How are you going to think about that? But then also your home business, to your point, like, you know, your people best and you have your own values. Who cares what, who cares what they're doing out there? Like, what could you do? Like you, you said, a student who can argue with student debt as something that's hanging over people's heads as they look at trying to buy a home or provide for their family. What, what a pretty low hanging fruit in my mind, especially when you look at the, the, the amount of money that goes unspent in retirement match programs. It just sits there on the balance sheet as a commitment and, and it's unspent because that 23, 24 year old person that just graduated from college, they can't, it's an awesome benefit, but they've got a, they've got they've got a massive debt, debt payment. So <laughs> yeah. why not provide a service to convert that or allow them to pay off their debt faster? Yeah. Um, I don't think a, a Christian would disagree with that. Yeah. No, I think, <laughs> so to I your think point, it's yeah, it's like it's there can be for sure. I think we need to acknowledge there are there are impact impacty things out there that are not Christian in insofar as reflective of the gospel and who Jesus would want us to be in the world. Full stop. Yep. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so th- and that's where again bringing our minds to where our money goes is is helpful. Um, so I think for Christian business owners, if if there are any out there listening to this, they probably are a few. I know a few that do, <laughs> but not as many. Uh, biblical counselors. Send it to your friends. That's right. Send it to your friends. <laughs> like, but think think creatively about your own business. But then also, we are investing in organizations. So thinking about what is the impact they're having, and does that impact align with my values? And if not, maybe I want to invest in a in a local company that that is. And one of the things I love that you point out a lot, uh, there's a lot of research that shows that impact investing, which is value-oriented investing, actually brings about as much or more return uh, than people who are just throwing money at, I don't know, the opposite of impact investing. Normal, <laughs> normal investing. Normal yeah, investing. at some point I'd love to drop the impact modifier and just say this is how we do investing. This is how we should do yeah. But you know, you're right. I mean, there's, it's been impact investing has been around for a couple of decades now in various forms. And it's, it's, the data shows that it outperforms, um, whether it's in your public equities or funds or whatever. But uh, I think, I don't know, as a Christian, it's you treat people right and you care for human beings, good things happen. Um, your, your customers come back, your employees stay. I mean, these aren't revolutionary thoughts, right? People want to work there if you're providing for their needs and caring for them as a person as opposed to a, you know, a cog in a wheel that can be replaced. It's, kinda, it's not rocket science. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's we kind of, like and that's what love. I mean, like I think we kind of went off the rails and co-opted some of what the world was saying was the, the bottom line of business. And I think as Christians, how do we do that differently? Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I had to wrestle with that. I remember having a conversation actually in a PhD seminar where I was like, no, business is about making money. And, uh, and it was like, no, the, we can we can have value associated with it too beyond just return. Uh, so obviously you are used to talking about money. You're used to talking to people about money, but that can be sometimes that's a cultural taboo. It's hard to bring up. The people I'm dealing with are primarily counselors that are listening to this. It can even be hard for them to bring it up. How might you encourage... Um, especially since Jesus talks so much about money in the New Testament and there's so many hazards associated with it, but also blessings associated with it. How do you encourage people to engage in open, honest conversation about finance? It's a, uh, it's a fantastic question. I, I think 
I think the bridge for me has always been values. Um, starting with that, that person and asking questions about, well, what do you care about? Uh, what, what do you, what do you find joy in? Um, what do you feel like, what do you feel called to, you know, like actually talking some of that language around like vocation. Um, and I think once you start there, then you can bridge into the, because again, back to money, money is a tool. It's, it's a tool to achieve a desired outcome. The desired might outcome might be an investment. It might, it might be purchase of a home. It might be whatever, but money is a tool to achieve a desired outcome. So if you can pull that back and start saying, well, what do you care about? And then to say, well, how does that manifest in your life? What does that look like as you think about your budget and your finances? Because you're going to ask those questions about their marriage, right? And so it's like starting to say, well, how is that reflected in, in how you spend your money, right? I once heard, I can't remember who, who it's attributed to, but like, you know, to see the, the position of a person's heart, look to the, look to the, the ledger of their checkbook, not the underlinings of their Bible. Because again, money is where our, where we put our value and, in and worth. And so I think counselors have a great opportunity to say, Hey, let's talk about this. You say you care about this. You say this is your joy. And, and, and like, what are you, what are you doing to help realize that? Um, and what does that look like with your, with your finances? So yeah. that's been the easiest part for me. And I think, I think that quote was just riffing on Jesus where he says, where your treasure <laughs> is, your heart will be it also. Definitely, like, it, it definitely <laughs> is. I think it's just a modern day interpretation of that for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, cause and it, yeah, when Jesus said it very clear, like what, uh, I always ask people to look at their, their time, their schedule, which is a time budget yep. and then their money budget. Yep. And you'll see what people value, yep. where you spend your money and where you spend your time. Um, and I, but I also think helping people from a positive side, see like, what, what could you be doing or what do you want to do that maybe some faulty, uh, mis or mismanagement of your money or faulty ways of thinking about your money is inhibiting you from accomplishing those things that God has called you to. I've met a lot of missionaries or people who want to be on the mission field and they're held back because of debt and bad financial choices or other things like that. Um, and helping them, uh, overcome those financial problems is actually helping remove hurdles to, to gospel ministry going forward. So, well, the other thing I also do is when you do budget with somebody, um, the first thing that happens is that other person feels guilt and shame and they know they should be spending less in this area or they want to be spending less in this area. But again, back to your point, there, there's something. And so there's, there's some heart work that needs to be done on, okay, why are you spending in those areas? For example, um, entertainment, eating out when you know you should be saving for the future. Those become great conversations, but the starting point is like, just get it all out there first. Don't, don't start cutting, just get out how you spend your money, how you think you should spend your money. What do you want to spend your money on? And then start, and then you can start to have conversations and then you can start to work towards better, better habits, better rhythms, uh, because it's not going to happen. Like I'm not going to put a budget on an Excel spreadsheet and that's what's going to happen. Especially if I'm used to spending $800 a month at the grocery store, right? For my, my wife and I, cause we love food. And then I turn around and I, and I'm going to try to cut that to $400 a month. Like there are times where you have to say, well, like, hold on, let's talk about it. what brings you joy back to those questions. Well, I love, I love food. I love cooking with my wife. Well, maybe you should leave it at 800 bucks. Where else can we cut? These aren't, again, people have different values, different interests, different joys. 
let's talk about that. Let's put it out there first. And I think that's, that's the other thing I've seen with budgeting is it, is it just gets it out there and nobody can achieve it. And so mm. then they chuck it yeah, because it's impossible. Um, and so, no, that's, that's really, really helpful input as well. So, um, <clears throat> well, we're about wrapped up with our time for the interview and it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's gone really fast, but I have a segment at the end called two minute favorites. I don't know. I don't remember if I sent you this or not, but we're, it wasn't <laughs> in the list, but I, I was familiar. Yes. <laughs> so you ready for this? I think. All right. Let me set two minutes, not 20 minutes. Cause that would be a lot longer. Here we go. What is your favorite food? Uh, right now, um, uh, tie. Favorite color? Blue. Favorite sport? Soccer. Favorite sports team? Well, that's not a soccer team. Uh, I would have to say my old, when I was a boy, baseball, Cincinnati Reds. All right. Favorite gift you've ever received? Jesus. Favorite gift you've ever given? <laughs> that's a good I mean, Favorite gift um, you've ever given? Man, I... Uh, life to my children. <laughs> <laughs> favorite word? My friends would say gosh. Least favorite word? Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> favorite book of the Bible? Um, I, I have to go with Romans. Favorite book outside of scripture? That is a hard one. I, a go-to would, right now, this year, From Strength to Strength by Arthur Brooks. Favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, cookies and cream. Favorite Bible verse? Oh, um, Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, for in everything through prayer and petition, present your request to the Lord. Favorite candy? Got to be something sour, so I'll go Sour Patch Kids. All right. If you could choose any superpower, what superpower would you choose? Flight. If your mom were to describe you in one word, what word would she use? Uh, busy. <laughs> favorite animal growing up a pig my daughter asked me this question the other day I didn't have an answer favorite movie um, the power of one favorite restaurant Ooh. locally I really enjoy gu guacamole uh, if favorite Oh, ran out of time. My bad. Well, you did good. You got through most, you got through almost the entire list. So well That's done. That's awesome. <laughs> well, Bryce Butler, thanks so much for joining us for 1514 today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.